Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening. You are listening to another episode of Bright Lights, Consumer Trends in Conversation with Element 54. I'm your host, Julianne Ng. In today's episode of Food Futures, I will be having a conversation with the president of Element 54, Bernie Malinoff. This episode wraps up the Food Futures series before we start recording our next series of podcasts on a different topic. Welcome to the show, Bernie. Hey, Julianne. Well, thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, so, so going back to the first one, what was the inspiration? Why did you decide to launch a podcast series within Element 54? Well, there's just so much learning that we come across every day from the research studies that we work on for our different clients who span so many different types of industries, but also from our everyday reading. Um, And at Element 54, we're always looking for new ways to do research better, faster, cheaper, or, you know, ideally all of the above, but also to find ways to share interesting pieces of information or insights to the general business community and to the general public. So for example, um, Bernie, you've been involved in some past research on research, right? That has helped advance thinking in specific marketing research approaches. That's true. Um, When I started LM54 back in fall 2008, it was a fascinating time. Um, I had some time on my hands, uh, but there was also emerging technology that had been changing the look and feel of online surveys. They walked away from some of the boring radio button and We're experimenting with things like sliders and other forms of more dynamic survey interfaces. Uh, Some of these presentations and conference uh, presented white papers are available on our Element 54 website. And for example, explore how the impact of different question designs can have an impact on survey results and the quality of the survey. For example, reducing straight lining and survey speeding. Uh, I had an incredible privilege of working with award-winning researcher John Poulston from the UK on an ESOMAR presentation that helped us all become more aware and appreciative of how even subtle changes to an online experience can impact survey results. Yeah, and then two years ago, we started the Insight Alerts series. Um, and this series, in this series, we take a general interest topic. And in partnership with Maru Blue, we survey 1,500 nationally representative Canadians and sometimes um, Americans as well. And then we share back the findings in an infographic that we post on LinkedIn or on, and on our website. Um, topics have included cannabis attitudes and behaviors, Black Friday shopping expectations. Um, we've had several COVID themes, including a segmentation of workers, different work from home personality types. So as I was thinking about other ways to share information with the public, I thought about podcasting um, because I had read that it's growing really fast, but it's actually still hugely underrepresented compared to video. And as we thought about the format as of the podcast, we thought it'd be most engaging and informative for our audience for it to be more of an interview style um, with different thought leaders across different industries, since we do have the privilege of interacting with so many of these people based on our everyday jobs. And so food is a personal passion and it's a big industry, which is why we chose that as a first topic for the podcast. That's great. No question, food is a much bigger part of our life over this past year. Um, So if you take a step back and look at the bigger picture as it relates to food, can you talk a bit about um, general health and well-being? Uh, For example, how would you describe pre-pandemic exercise and eating? That's a great uh, question. Um, one that I'm just personally, again, very passionate about um, because food fits into it, but the whole holistic well-being is a big part of my life. 
Um, I've always been very health conscious. Um, since a young age, I've been like aspiring to live to 100, but not just living to 100 for the sake of living to 100, but to have a high quality of life. And I, I really believe that health comes first before anything else, because if you're not healthy, we really can't be of use to anyone else. And what's even worse is that beyond not being able to help others, if we have health issues, we make life even more challenging for those that then need to take care of us in return. So people who know me know that I love to eat and I can eat a lot. And that can be surprising for some if you've met me, but I'm very choiceful. I watch what I eat. I try to eat a balanced, healthy diet every day, but I do allow room for the occasional indulgence. Um, if it's somebody's birthday and there's cheesecake, I'm gonna eat it. Um, but I do exercise regularly as well. Um, now, I ate pretty much everything, including all types of meat, because you're asking me about pre-pandemic exercise and eating. But just before COVID, um, back in November of 2019, I had my annual physical exam and my blood work had come back with a result that was a bit alarming to me. My cholesterol level had increased to be at the high end of the normal range when it had actually always been in a really good spot. My doctor wasn't concerned because she said it was still normal, but I like to be proactive about things, especially healthcare, and this just didn't sit well with me. It made no sense to have increased, um, especially given that in that year, and just the months before, I had trained for my first marathon. Um, so how could my cholesterol possibly be that high or in have increased after all that running in the months preceding the annual physical exam? It made no sense to me. And if you add to that, the fact that my dad had a stroke six years ago when he was only 65 and my mother has diabetes, I knew I had to do something. Wow, and, and, and many of us share family histories and, and our own health issues. I'm, I'm seeing some really cool ads these days which talk about, for example, benefits of soy and other food groups um, that are now seemingly positioned much more for mass consumer markets as opposed to historical positionings around targets of vegans and athletes. Do you want to share with our listeners um, thoughts about the documentary that helped influence your thinking on the topic? Yes, I'd love to. And so basically co coinciding with this period of time when my blood results had come back, there was a lot of buzz around the film, The Game Changers, um, which is a documentary focused on how a vegan, you know, which would um, exclude all animal proteins type of diet, can improve elite athletic performance. That film took a very different stance than what we normally see um, for anyone promoting veganism. And this was based on, again, elite athletic performance. So it was fairly sensationalized because it was produced by big team, including James Cameron, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Jackie Chan. I ended up watching it out of curiosity uh, because it was generating so much buzz. I wanted to be able to form an educated opinion about veganism and what this was all about um, because we don't take things at face uh, value, especially as researchers. So at this point, um, I think it is important to clarify a few terms because there's still a lot of confusion around the terms to, for the different diets. So a vegan diet would exclude all types of animal protein, which would include dairy and cheese, but a vegetarian diet would exclude meat, but can include dairy and eggs. And again, even within vegetarian, there are subcategories, but let's just say holistically, it normally include, excludes meat, but includes dairy and eggs. And then there's plant-based, which focuses mostly um, on whole plant-based foods, but it does allow for some limited animal proteins. So again, depending on how um, strictly someone follows a 
plant-based diet, there could be some varying proportions of animal protein in there. Um, and then of course, there are many other versions of these diets as well. Anyway, the, the Game Changers film was eye-opening um, for sure. But as I mentioned, I couldn't take what was being presented at face value without more digging because I knew that you know, it was sensationalized and that some of the findings that they had put forward were probably not necessarily done with the most research rigor. So that's, as I went and started to do some digging, that's when I came across uh, the most comprehensive study of nutrition ever conducted, which is summarized in a book called The China Study, written by uh, T. Colin Campbell, who's a nutritional researcher, and his son, Tom Campbell, who's a physician. It's the longest running longitudinal study spanning 20 years and looked at mortality rates from cancer and other chronic diseases in 65 counties in China using dietary surveys and blood work from 100 people in each county. And to this date, it's unlikely um, that a study of this scale would be reproduced. So research from both the Game Changers film and the China study actually showed that important biomarkers of health such as cholesterol, could be improved in a very short period of time with a plant-based diet. And the period of time was so short that I found it hard to believe. So I had to know for myself. So again, this timing, everything just coincided well with my blood work coming back, these films being out there. And I thought, well, I could just do an experiment on myself. So what I did was I, um, it, and by the way, it was never an ethical journey to begin with, I think as you can tell based on everything I've described so far, but really one that was diet-based. So I went back to my doctor shortly after my annual physical and asked if I could have another requisition for some blood work in three months, because that was the time frame. I, in the um, documentary, it showed results as quickly as in four weeks, but I thought I'd give myself three months. So then my, my experiment began in early December, 2019, just pre-COVID. And without knowing the extent to which COVID would soon impact access to health services and a lot of other things, I luckily ended up doing my blood work after two months in February of 2020, based on an almost 100% plant-based diet. I couldn't wait out the three months at that time. I didn't know COVID was coming, but the curiosity was just killing me. So what I discovered was really exciting and I charted my results and I found that my cholesterol had dropped significantly which means by a whole point, which is actually a lot given that the range for normal in cholesterol is very tight. Um, that's amazing, Julianne. And, and I remember those early conversations where you were talking about the journey you were gonna take. And I was so grateful to you for taking the lead and encouraging me also to take this three month vegan challenge. Uh, it, it was not easy, I confess. And I think both of us have a ton of respect for those who either for dietary or ethical reasons, maintain a strictly vegan lifestyle. Um, yeah, thankfully, my family was very supportive, uh, even though I was the one that ate something different every night at dinner time. Um, although interestingly, eventually some of those dishes became family dishes too. Um, you know, if you make a vegan meat sauce and use one of these uh, new products that's on the market, they actually taste pretty good. And, and, and this experiment was during winter, which is a great time to have comfort food on a cold winter day. Uh, but the, you know, a challenge I had was how to create equivalencies for traditional proteins. Um, so for example, if you weigh four ounces of salmon and you know you've got a goal of 10 ounces of protein each day, you know where you're stand, you're 40% a goal. Uh, and as someone 
I had lost 20 pounds a few years ago, weight management is something I'm always thinking about. Uh, it's hard for me to keep it off. It's easy to put it back on. What was interesting is because I had been already tracking my blood work twice a year by doing full bloods on a semi-annual basis, and I had all those results leading up to the three-month vegan diet. And, and the conclusions after I did the, the post-vegan blood tests were fascinating to me. Uh, what I had concluded was that my LDL, the bad cholesterol, experienced the most significant declines when I lost weight. I lost 20 pounds, my LDLs were the lowest they ever were. Um, but interestingly, they didn't budge, even though I cut out all animal protein for three months, which kind of went against whatever the game changers and other um, sensational type of documentaries were saying. So I was a bit surprised, a bit disappointed, my LDLs didn't go down. But interestingly, what did change were the HDLs or the good cholesterols which had never budged during weight loss, exact same number for six consecutive results. Uh, they increased 14% when I maintained a strictly vegan diet for three months. Uh, and that was fascinating to me. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've always been impressed with the rigor and discipline that you had towards monitoring your diet in general. And I was really happy that you were on board and also excited to try this three-month vegan challenge and to see some results. Now, I don't know what that really means um, in the long term. Do you have, where, where are you now with respect to the vegan challenge? Well, I think that I, um, I, I balance it more now. Uh, I still do enjoy um, vegan meals. I don't eat as many of them and partly and, and you know hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about it is the the social impact of when you're an outlier within a unit either a social group or a family group i found that hard you know traditionally we sit down for dinner as a family on a friday night and i would be the only one not having chicken and um, so I, there's there's a whole social side of it that i, I hope we'll be able to get to um, but i still try to balance it um, I, I don't eat a lot of red meat. I mean, that's a rare, maybe once a month thing where I'll have a few bites of someone's steak. Um, we tend to eat a lot of fish um, and, and, and therefore I'm eating kind of a lot of those low fat proteins, um, but I still do enjoy. I've, I've cut out cheese for the most part. I find that's been, uh, you know, that was kind of pre the experiment, um, a food group that just had a bunch of unnecessary fat in it and I could get proteins from other places. So um, I'd say, you know, more moderate now. Yeah, it's um, been the same for me as well. And I think part of it is like you said, social, and I'd like to dig into that a little bit more shortly. But the other piece is I'm not, extreme in terms of like attitudes and you know perceptive uh, perceptions or behaviors towards a lot of things in life and I think that moderation and balance is always going to be important so what I wanted to know was what was the threshold to maintain my cholesterol at that new reduced level um, that I had achieved after the two months so my plan again I'm thinking back to February of 2020 was to actually reintroduce back some limited quantities of animal protein like cheese and eggs and fish and maybe other types of seafood and to see what would happen after th another three months. 
So I got another requisition from the doctor. I think she thinks I'm a little bit crazy, but because of COVID, I wasn't able to go back and do the blood work at the three month mark. But there was a point in the late summer between the different waves of lockdown when I was able to get back to a clinic. And amazingly, my lowered cholesterol level held steady. So that was several months later. So between February and it was August. Um, and that level stayed the same, even though I had reintroduced back some limited cheese, eggs, and seafood. So the plan now is to get another reading whenever services start to open up more again and to see if this trend continues, let's say now after another six to nine months. So Bernie, based on your experience with the experiment, how would you say it compares to your day job in marketing research? That's a good one, Julianne. Um, you know, it's interesting when you, when you look back and you try to find the parallels between the three month vegan diet experiment and as our work of, of, of researchers, I guess a few thoughts jumped out. Um, you know, when we think about what drives us every day, um, curiosity, creativity, the discipline, you know, ultimately we, we show up to work every day and try to leverage those skills to challenge ourselves. We, we try to look beyond the obvious. And, and I tried to invoke some of those principles through curiosity to see how my body would respond to another diet change, uh, try to leverage some of the skills I've learned in market research. It ultimately, uh, it really helped me frame the inputs and outputs from a three month experiment. Um, and, and I know you've, you've had a similar experience and uh, I can't wait for both of us to get that next round of bloods and see how our um, how our adapted diets have responded. Um, and, and thinking about, you know, this, I guess, past year, um, how do you think our experiment fits in with what Canadians are doing now? Good question. So um, earlier I mentioned that we poll North Americans regularly on hot topics. One of the topics was about experimentation during COVID which included meat reduction as one of the facets of experimentation among others that we assessed. Um, and this was referenced in one of the Food Futures episodes that we, where I interviewed Ellen Karp, the cultural anthropologist. A few weeks ago, we, we re-ran the same COVID experimentation set of questions that we first reported back in July, 2020, um, so that we could see the trend nine months later. And I was expecting to see some differences, so, and I was all excited to be able to um, put out another infographic out on LinkedIn and showcase the trends. But what we see is that the percentage of Canadians who have experimented with meat reduction during COVID has not changed at all since July, 2020. Um, so 9% have tried and will keep on doing it. There's another 12% who have not yet tried, but are considering it. And similarly, there's actually been no change in the percentage of Canadians who tried experimenting with a vegan or a vegetarian diet since COVID began. And those numbers are lower at 2% who have tried and plan to continue and 6% who have, who have yet to try but are considering it. So Bernie, how would you say our experience have matched or not matched what our Food Futures podcast guests have discussed? I, and what I loved about the whole first series um, was the range of experts that all gave their thoughts. And I, I mentioned earlier the level of respect I have for people that maintain these pure vegan diets. Um, I am thrilled to see society embracing it more, manufacturers evolving as well, so that we now have more mainstream plant-based products. Um, but still, and I think the data that you've just quoted 
reminds us that there still are social pressures. You know, people can be an outlier within a family unit that makes it more difficult. Uh, and even one of your uh, original Food Futures podcast guests, uh, Thierry Brancy, talked about the whole social pressures aspect. Uh, it reminded me of an Insights Association CEO summit in Miami, just right pre-pandemic starting in it was Jan 2020. And, and one of those nights we had a, um, the ability to go out of you know, small groups for dinners. And I ended up taking a group of uh, seven other people or eight of us in total to a vegan restaurant. Um, they followed me along. They were all skeptical and made a couple of jokes about where we were going to go. In the end, everyone loved it. It was just a fantastic dinner at, you know, and people from all over North America, many of whom were full-time carnivores, uh, and there they were loving it. Um, but yet it, it's that constant reminder though of when social pressures or you're being an outlier within a family unit or a social group can make this more difficult. Um, Julianne, I know we've, we've talked a lot about um, the, the physical um, dimensions of this, but as we try to balance both physical and mental health dimensions, changing gears, what's your favorite way to clear your mind? I wish I could say that my favorite way to clear my mind is through meditation because meditation is a really hot topic. Um, when I was at CES in, I guess it would have been 20, <laughs> I'm losing track of time, 2020, yes, just pre-pandemic, there were so many um, new technologies emerging that all relate to improving mindfulness uh, through meditation. But I've tried it and I, I struggle with it, um, even though that's not to say that I don't believe in it or that I wouldn't try it again. I just have a really hard time settling my mind. Um, so I would say that, and it's funny, you should mention that, you know, we were talking a lot about the physical in terms of the diet and the impact on the body. And now we're switching gears to be a little bit more of the mind, um, the holistic type of wellness. But my favorite way to clear my mind is actually through something physical, which is running. So all I need is about 30 minutes, three to four times a week outside with my music, um, alone with my thoughts. And I often go out um, in the evenings. I even enjoy it when it's dark because I'm alone and I just feel like it's much more peaceful. Um, and yeah, when I run, my mind isn't always completely clear. Sometimes I am thinking about work um, or other things that, or that I'm using that time to brainstorm but it's still the best way I have to clear my mind. And I really do appreciate and enjoy that time. What about you? Well, it's funny you talk about meditation. I think I've probably installed three or four different meditation apps on my phone and I've deleted them all. Um, I, I, like you, I've got a huge amount of respect for the, 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 the concept of meditation. I just haven't been able to crack it yet for myself. Um, and maybe it's because I, I, try to clear my mind first thing in the morning, uh, either on an elliptical or a spinning bike. And I often get up quite early and I find that my mind is always racing ahead and thinking about the day. Um, so I try to work out seven days a week, first thing in the morning. Um, and, and it's funny, you know, without that start to the day, I, you know, I'm a bit of a grumpy old man. So uh, I try to discipline myself and, and, and do that every morning. So, Julianne, what were some of uh, the highlights from the Food Futures series, the initial podcast? I think of the big takeaways in terms of what is broadly applicable beyond the food industry. And these would be, number one, 
If you want to make a change, keep in mind the psychology of persuasion and understand the barriers and triggers and the role they play with your target market. Social proof, for example, which is the concept of encouraging behavior change by showing that others in your target audience's peer group are doing what you want them to be doing, can be much more influential than you think. Number two, while COVID has hit the food industry really hard, and pretty much everyone knows that, the businesses that were able to pivot and adapt quickly, whether changing their offering and or using technology um, in different ways, have not only managed to survive, but to thrive. And finally, number three, whatever you decide to do as a business, especially if you're going to make sustainability claims, Make sure you're authentic and that all business processes internally and all outside communications and messaging are consistent with your brand promise. I'm so thrilled with how the first podcast went and, um, and, and Julianne, all, all that you've done for the business over the past year, because I think in many ways, we're also one of those businesses that pivoted and, and tried to adapt quickly to a very changing circumstance a year ago. Um, and count ourselves amongst the privilege that are, are now growing and expanding and growing the team. And, um, and I can't wait for what the year ahead will bring. Um, but I know it's also going to bring another new podcast. Uh, can you share a sneak peek into what that might be just before we wrap up? One of the hot topics right now, which has gained even more heightened awareness, is sustainability, something that I had mentioned in my point number three. This topic has come up with our guests spontaneously in the first podcast episodes as it related to food, but we're also seeing interest from our clients across different industries on this topic because it's so far-reaching and impacts every aspect of the supply chain. So we're currently in the process of finding our next guest speakers to provide perspectives on sustainability from any angle. So stay tuned.